It's time. Time for me to step it up. It's about endurance, perseverance, dedication. It's not about just getting by. It's about giving it my all. It's about pushing it to the limit. That's the way it's meant to be. I'm done being an amateur. It's time to go pro. Hey, good morning. Aren't you glad for the warmer weather? You know, I've been here 26 years almost from Texas, and I have a hard time getting used to the winters, but I thought I was doing okay until I looked at my thermometer in my car, and it said 16 below. I didn't even know there was a 16 below. And um, wow, I'm glad it's better. Could I just say this before I get started today's talk? Two weekends from this weekend, we start the greatest series I've ever been part of. It's called Red Letters, and it's nine weeks about Jesus, and it's just phenomenal. It will take us all the way through Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. It'll climax. We're going to look at the words that Jesus said that changed the world. In fact, the series is called Red Letters. Nobody ever talked like this. And that starts two weekends from this weekend, and it's just huge. Because, guys, let me tell you, you can get everything else wrong and get Jesus right, and 10 trillion years from now, you'll be glad you did. You can get everything else right and get Jesus wrong, and it'll be a disaster. So there's just nothing bigger than the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to look at what he said. We're going to see how it works in our lives still today. And I thought about this on the way out. Two weekends from now, I go back to my closet and say, what do I wear today? Because um, (laughs) during this series, it hasn't been real complicated. I got to tell you, one of the funnier things is going to lunch after the service is over because people look at you like, man, you must really be trying to make a statement. (laughs) And, you know, a few times I go to restaurants that are, you know, they're, they're more traditional church people you know, not New Springers, and they're all suits and ties and everything. They're looking at me like, you, you wore that to church, dude? Well, they wouldn't say dude, would they? I didn't think about that. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I was at one of those restaurants, and one of those kind kind of came past me, and, uh, and I had on the Steelers jersey, and he said, man, you must love the Steelers. I said, no, actually, I hate them. <laughs> and <laughs> so I don't know what he thought. Uh, This weekend in going pro, I need to take us to probably the most serious and maybe even darkest place that we're going to go in this series. Because um, when I chose this particular proverb, which really we're only going to look at two verses from Proverbs, I chose it because it's so important. There's a topic that we don't like to talk about a lot. In fact, in a lot of churches, in order to be popular, ministers don't talk about the topic. And, And that topic is sin. Sin is what separates us from God. When our first mom and dad, Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, they brought sin into the world, they sinned, and then you and I, as their children, their offspring, as I've shared with you before, we were born with a bent nature, a dark side, and then we make our own contributions to sin. And, and sin is, is very serious, much more serious than we think it is. Um, I'm always concerned about two schools of thought whenever I step on stage about sin. The first school of thought is what I would call sort of the quintessential American idea about sin, which is that God is the P 
Pillsbury Doughboy in the sky who really doesn't care about what we do. And if we do something wrong, God says, aw shucks, and sweeps it under the rug. And it, and it doesn't matter. I want to tell you a couple of very important truths. Every sin will be paid for. Every sin. Every sin I've ever committed, every sin you've ever committed. And to cut to the chase, either we will let Jesus pay for them on the cross. This is why whenever you get around a Christian scenario, we always have the, signal, the sign of the cross. It just means so much to us because it means that all the wrong that we've done was paid for by somebody else. Either, either we will let Jesus pay for it for us or we will insist on paying for it ourselves. And if you want to know how seriously God treats sin, look at what he did to his son, his only son. God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his one and only son, and he gave him. Oh, did he give him. I mean, he was brutalized like nobody can ever imagine. I mean, if you saw Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ and you had to turn away from it as I did because it was so awful, could I tell you it was worse than even Mel Gibson showed it? And that is what God did willingly. God gave his son over to be brutalized like no human being has ever been brutalized to pay for sin. If you want to know how seriously God treats sin, look at the cross. So my, my first concern is that, as I said, people have the idea that God is the doughboy in the sky. And whenever anything comes up about their lives that might be wrong, it is, well, and, and here is the expression that, that we say. We say, well, God is a loving God, and that is so true. I mean, can you imagine how much he loves you that he put his son on a cross? But by the same token, when you hold a Bible, it is a very thick book, and you surely must understand that there are a few more things in the Bible other than the statement, God is a loving God. Because if you read the Bible, you'll find out that God is also a God of supreme justice. That God is infinitely a God of love. You go as far as you can imagine love, and there is God. But you go as far as you can imagine justice, and you will also find God. See, if God let one sin sneak under the rug, he would not be God anymore. And so because of that, we need to take sin seriously. And as I said, I, I guarantee you, there are a lot more topics I'd rather talk about this morning than sin because I am a sinner. It's uncomfortable for me. You realize, of course, that when you listen to me talk, I, th I think I tell you this every weekend because I want you to feel it and know it. You're not listening to an expert. I am with you. I'm a sinner too. And, and I, as I'm not the best person here. In fact, you know, there are people here that when they get their rewards in heaven, I'm going to be up in the cheap seats watching them with binoculars get their rewards. So I, I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking with you. I, I am as concerned about this as you are. I am concerned, though, that there is a culture that says that sin really doesn't matter. It's not important. God is a God of love. Take the best crack at it that you can, and don't worry about it because God is a loving God. The other attitude that I think I get more concerned about at New Spring is an attitude that goes to the other extreme, that feels our sin so deeply that we have the fear that God will not forgive us for a particular sin. And there's some of you here that you are very sensitive to sin. And, and, you, and in some of your cases, you didn't even really know how serious sin was, but you came to New Spring and you encountered Christ, and, and all of a sudden you're getting this picture of who God is and how awesome he is, and maybe you're just in worship or something, and you're worshiping and you're just thinking about how great our God is, and then all of a sudden something will come back to us from our past and think, 
wow, I did that. And not only did I do it, I did it so many times with so many people. And I, you know, I, this, I committed the same sin over and over, and it's so awful. Is it possible that I've done something that God can't forgive? I want to tackle those two thoughts today, and I want to ask your permission to go to a pretty heavy place, okay? I mean, I love, I love to keep it light, and I love to, to have fun with you guys, but today, I just think I owe it to you. I am, you realize I don't make this up. I'm God's servant. I, I, give, I, I give the message that God has given to, to you. I'm just the delivery, delivery boy, but today, I want to take us to a very serious place, but the cool thing is you're going to love it when we get to the finish line, okay? Our, series, our, our, our sermon today is called Comeback Player of the Year. You know, in the NFL, I love watching whoever gets that award. Since 1972, with the exception of 1985, there's always been a Comeback Player of the Year award. Somebody maybe that hadn't played well for a few seasons, and he'll have a really good season, and he'll win this award. Or, as happened this year, maybe someone who's gotten into trouble, maybe even gone to federal prison, such as the 2010 player of the year. I, I didn't have the courage to wear his jersey. You know Mike Vick, of course. He was, if you saw him in college, I loved watching him play. Mike Vick in college was a man among boys. He just was incredible. And then he was drafted by the Falcons. He was given a gazillion dollars to play for them. And then after that, he was um, like, like a lot of NFL players are. He was sought out for endorsements. I believe it was 2006, he made $26 million. That's more than some of you make, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the only problem is that Mike had a little thing going on the side. He had a little side business. It was dogfighting, and it was, that's a brutal sport within itself, but it wasn't just that. There were dogs that couldn't fight anymore, or they were losing dogs, and they abused those dogs and killed them, sometimes in really bad ways. They electrocuted them, drowned them, shot them. At one point, Mike participated, I think, in the execution of eight dogs and got him in a lot of trouble, and he wound up spending 21 months in federal prison. And for the, if you like the NFL, like I do, you, you, you follow the story when Mike got out of prison and everybody was wondering, is, is anybody going to take a chance on him? And most teams wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. But Andy Reid and the Philadelphia Eagles decided they would take a chance on Mike Vick and they didn't hardly pay him anything to play that first year. But if you watched him play this year, oh my goodness. I watched him one night against the Washington Redskins. I have never in all my years of watching pro football seen anybody play like Mike Vick played that night against the Redskins. Threw for over 300 yards, four touchdowns, ran for over 50 yards for two touchdowns. I mean, the man was incredible. And this year, and, and thankfully from what I can tell, he's gotten his life back on track. Tony Dungy has been a mentor for him. What a wonderful man Tony Dungy is. And, and, and Mike actually gave his testimony recently. So I'm grateful for that. I just still don't have the courage to wear his jersey. Um, <laughs> a comeback player of the year. Sometimes you and I are going to have to be the comeback player of the year. Maybe we're going to have some seasons where we don't do so well. Maybe we'll actually have some seasons where, even as God followers, we'll disgrace our Lord and disgrace ourselves and do things that we can't believe a God follower would do. My joy this morning is to talk with us seriously about how to be the comeback player of the year and why God wants you to do that. We're going to go to some dark places first, so hang with me, all right? My proverb that I have for you today is actually Proverbs 28, verses 13 and 14. It's going pro, proverbs. Here, here it is. For, listen, there are two verses here, and there are four statements. So just peel the onion with me as we go through this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. That's the first thing. If they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. That's the second. 
Number three, blessed are those who fear to do wrong, or actually read that happy. That's what it means, happy are those who fear to do wrong. And then number four, the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. We're going to look at those four things, not in that order, but they're going to be big for us today. Let's, hey, by the way, our, our, our thought today is about coming back to God and being comeback player of the year, but the smartest thing in the world is to never leave, okay? That, that's just smart. God will forgive you for anything you do. But you know, when we run away from God, we get ourselves into a lot of pain. And the smartest thing you and I can do is just not leave in the first place. And, and I love looking at New Spring because we have so many who are young, at least you're young to me, at 54. I'm always telling them, hey, I talked to this, this boy the other day, and I'll think, well, he was like 40. Um, <laughs> so most of you are young to me. You have an opportunity. If, if you buy into this first one, you can just avoid so much trouble in life. Here it is. Here's the best case scenario. Happy are the people who fear to do wrong. Now, usually we don't put happy and fear in the same sentence, but God does this time. God is saying, look, there are some people out there that whenever temptation comes along, and by the way, time out, it will come along for all of us. It is not a sin to be tempted. Satan will solicit you to do wrong. He tried it on Jesus. It's not a sin to be tempted. And the old-time preachers used to say that you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And, and that's their, that was their way of saying you can't keep from being tempted, but you can keep from entertaining temptation. But all of us are going to be tempted. All of us are going to be solicited to do wrong. There are some people who have an onboard defense system who, when temptation comes along, they're saying, no, I'm scared to do that. I'm scared to do that. I have, I'm afraid to do that. And it is like, listen, you and I need to be afraid of sin because it has the power to screw up our lives. And you and I have friends. We can look at their lives. And some of us actually have some experience in our own lives. But you and I need to be afraid of sin because it just, it got, listen, when God tells us not to sin, that's a loving statement because he doesn't want us to suffer pain. And uh, what, what a great thing it would be to have an onboard, an onboard defense system so that when temptation comes along, we just say, no, back off. Um, after all these years of driving Hondas, I just bought a Hyundai. And it's a Hyundai Genesis. The reason I started looking at it is the name. I just hate evolution so much. I thought I'd just love to say some, drive something that says Genesis. Because anyway, um, I, I, I got it, and I was driving on the highway, and I'll have my cruise set. And I'm not going to tell you what I had it set at, but I had my cruise set. And um, all of a sudden, I realized that there was, my cruise was defective because... <laughs> I'm driving, and all of a sudden, it just starts backing off, you know? And it, it backed off like 7, 8, 10 miles an hour, and then it would go back up, and it would back off. And I thought, if I'd bought a Honda, it wouldn't have done this. <laughs> and then I came to realize, and these cars are getting so sophisticated, it had a sensing system in it, and it detected that I was getting too close to the car in front of me, and it pulled my speed down. Now, do you realize... <laughs> Do you realize how humbling it is to get a lesson on ethics from something that's not even alive? <laughs> but I love that. I mean, my car, my car says, hey, back off. You're getting too close. All of us need that kind of system, you know, in our hearts and minds. The Bible says, happy are the people who are afraid to do wrong. I mean, you know, and, and, and it's going to happen to all of us. There's going to be something that's going to tempt us. I mean, it could be that you're going through a dry patch in your marriage. 
and there's somebody at the office, and she makes you laugh, or he understands you, and you can talk about it, and you know, you're friendly with him, and it's like all of a sudden you feel this little chemistry going on. I mean, we need that system that says back off, back off. Or, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one that gets to me. I can start getting a little full of myself. Things go well, you know, God is blessing, get a little full of myself. I mean, we needed, we needed something that says back off. Remember the pit that you were dug out of. Remember the rock you were cut from. See? And, and, and one of my, you guys know I love Joseph. I love doing series on Joseph. But to me, when I read Happy of the People Who Fear to Do Wrong, one of the first people who come to my mind is, uh, is Joseph. Remember, Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him, tried to seduce him, get him into bed with her. Most guys would have said, wow, what a golden opportunity. But look at what Joseph said. I want you to read his language here. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing. He's talking about the owner. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I mean, Joseph had that sensing device that said, back off. And was he happy? Yeah. I mean, look at the opportunity that God gave him. When he was 29, 30 years old, he was running the world. He would not have gotten that blessing had he fallen to that temptation. So we're talking about being the comeback player of the year. But again, smartest thing you and I can do, just don't leave home. Don't leave home. Stay with God. You know, when when temptation comes along, say, hey, my blessing. Boy, this is good. This would be worth driving for today. Whenever you have the temptation come along, you say, God's blessing in my life is worth so much more than whatever this is. Okay? All right. Um, Let's go. And by the way, here's the thing. I want to just talk about something for a moment. I know how some of us feel. When temptation comes along, we say, well, I'm a God follower. And isn't it true that God will forgive any sin? Yes, it is true that God will forgive any sin. But that doesn't mean you won't go through a lot of pain because of what you do, even when God forgives you sin. Just because God's made provision doesn't mean that you need to use it. I get on an airplane, flight attendant tells me my seat cushion will float, but I don't want to experience it. Okay? Number two. The stubborn are headed for serious trouble. Well, that is God just saying, this is just, God's just reporting the news here. The stubborn are headed for serious trouble. What is a stubborn person? A stubborn person is, is the one who says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Not my wife, not my husband, not the boss. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Not even God. And even whether, whether we articulate, because here's the thing I've discovered. <laughs> I've discovered that there are some people that are very belligerent about being stubborn, and there are some people that are sweet as sugar. They can, they can look you in the eye with a tender smile, and still they're saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I guarantee you God can see through that. And God says the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. And for one thing, stubborn people aren't thinking clearly. I remember when I was a junior in high school, it was still Vietnam days, but it was at the end. It was probably 72, 73, and we were drawn down, but there were still people going to Vietnam. And, and I remember this kid came in next to me in class, threw his books down. He's just furious. He was yelling about his dad, cussing his dad back in the day. You know, sometimes people would disrespect their dad by calling him the old man. So he was just cussing his old man. And he said, I'm going to go join the Marines. Well, he wasn't the military type. He wasn't in ROTC or anything. He's kind of chunky, actually, you know, and, and just pudgy is what he was. <laughs> so I kind of, you know, for a moment here, I'm 16 years old, and I'm imagining this kid in boot camp. And so I asked him, I said, why are you going to join the Marines? He said, I'm just so tired of taking orders. <laughs> yeah. 
The problem with stubborn people is they don't think clearly, and that's why they're headed for trouble. Let me give you a wonderful definition of stubbornness that's going to make sense, especially when we get to the end of this talk. Stubbornness is the refusal to think things over in a way that might lead to changing course. If, 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 you, if you get your course set on a particular thing and it's not a good idea and nobody can talk you out of it, I mean, it's like, you just like say, you know, nobody can talk to me. You're headed for trouble. I mean, I've seen so many people that were in relationships with people that were going to destroy their lives, and everybody tried to you know, tell them, don't do this, but man, they're stomping their feet and closing their ears and saying, I'm not going to listen. It's refusal to think things over in a way that might lead to changing course. And wow, what, what, and stubborn are headed for serious trouble. One, one of my favorite stories that's actually a favorite of military humor, especially for those of you who are in the Navy, uh, you've probably heard this story before, but it's a story of a, of a captain of a ship, and he saw a light in the distance. And so he had a signalman send a message to the oncoming ship that said, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. And then the message came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. It made the captain furious. And he said, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am the captain. And the message came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I'm Seaman Third Class Jones. Oh, you can imagine how he was boiling at that point. Can you imagine being dissed by somebody that you outrank so much? And so at that point, the captain decided he would just show this oncoming ship how big he was. And he said, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. And the message came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am the lighthouse. (laughs) See, when you and I try to flip God off and tell him we're going to do what we're going to do, God is saying, all right, I'm the lighthouse. I don't care how big your ship is. You can be a battleship, but you, you don't want to run to the lighthouse. Now, how serious is, is rebellion and, and stubbornness to God? There was a king named Saul, and I won't go into the story, but he basically wouldn't listen to God. I want you to listen to what God said to this king. God said, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Think, and you know how God feels about idols. Why would he say that stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols? Let me tell you why. When I'm stubborn, I'm saying nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's tantamount to saying I'm God. If nobody can tell me what to do, if I don't have to answer to anybody, if I can do whatever I wish, then I'm telling God, you're not God, I'm God, and God says, okay, that's worshiping idols. Wow, very serious deep breath here, because I have to read to you at this moment what I think is the scariest verse in the Bible. I mean, when I read it, I just want to, can we please move on? This is, to my mind, the scariest verse in all the Bible, and it's about being stubborn. Let me preface it. From time to time, I'll talk to someone, and I'll beg them not to take a particular course of action. And, and, and they'll say, hey, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's wrong, and it's devastating. Often it breaks up their marriage. It just you know, destroys their families. And I'll tell people, you can't do this. Oh, I'm going to do this. Nobody can stop me. And, and I'll see them about six months out or a year out. And it's like, hey, Mark, you told me this wasn't going to work. It's working great. I didn't get struck by lightning. Wow, this is the verse that just makes me have chills. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. By the way, it was written to religious people. 
But because you're stubborn, God said, and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And people flip God off over and over and over and say, well, hey, I'm feeling fine, I'm doing fine, I'm looking fine, life goes on. And what they don't understand is that God is just storing it up. Oh, can we move on, please? That verse scares daylights out of me. Number three, people who conceal their sins, and we're going back to the Proverbs, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. Now, let me tell you what I do when I'm studying the Bible. When God makes a statement like that, I get the sense that that statement is to pull us back against our normal way of thinking. So if God is saying to Mark, Mark, if you conceal a sin, it's not going to end well, then it's almost as if it infers that God would think that I would think that concealing sin will work. In fact, I believe there are many people who believe I must conceal sin in order to prosper. In other words, I've got something in, in my life that's hidden, and if it comes out, it could destroy me, so I've got to keep it hidden so that I can prosper. And God is saying, no, it works the other way around. Hidden sin will never prosper. And that's true from Adam and Eve to Watergate to John Edwards to you and me to anybody else. It's just written in God's constitution in the universe. God will not let sin stay hidden. Do you know that the reason why he won't is his mercy? Let me give you four reasons for that, and we'll move on quickly. Number one, hidden sin is usually continued sin. There's something about bringing sin to the surface that causes us to stop it. I think, listen, this pastor for 33 years, I've listened to a lot of stories. And here's a story that I've heard many times. Somebody would say, Mark, this is just destroying my life. I hate it, but I can't stop it. And I think that when we hide sin, it's harder to stop. Number two, hidden sin means we live a life of deception. It means we pretend to be one person when really we're somebody else. And that breaks God's heart when we're not genuine. Number three, an attempt to hide sin is an insult to God because God knows everything that's going on in our lives. See, here's the thing. If you and I hide sin, we're flipping God off. I mean, listen to Hebrews 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he's the one to whom we're accountable. John said if we claim we're without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Verse 10, he says if we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar. So basically, when we hide sin, God is saying, what are you doing? God says, I know about it. Are you more concerned about what people think than what I think? So that's why, number three, people who conceal sin won't, won't prosper. And then the fourth thing is, hidden sin is always an open sore in our lives. God wants us to deal with it and to move on. Well, I want to get to the thing that I want to talk to you about today, which is the fourth line from this proverb. And, and let me read it to you from, again, Proverbs 28, verse 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but look at this. If they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I've got this in red because, to me, these are some of the most important words in my Bible. Are you a sinner? Yes. Am I a sinner? Yes. What's God saying? God is saying, number one, Mark, if you will confess it. What does it mean to confess sin? It doesn't mean that you go to a booth and you tell somebody what you did wrong. Confession is something that you do to God, you do with God. Confess actually means this. It means to say the same thing as. It says, if I lie, I tell God I lied. I don't tell God why I lied, I tell him I lied. If I lusted, it means I tell him I lusted. 
If I'm jealous, it means I tell God I'm jealous. It means I tell God really what my sin is. So the first thing is I confess it. And then number two, I turn from it. There's, there's something about it that I say, I don't want this in my life anymore. And scripture says this, if we confess, if we say what it is to God, and then if we're willing to turn from it, what does God promise? Mercy. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I don't even think I could, I think if I shared this with you every weekend, it still wouldn't be enough. God's wonderful gifts to you and me are mercy and grace. In fact, if you read the Bible, how many times do you see books start off with mercy and grace? What's the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. When I go to heaven, that'll be grace. I don't deserve heaven. I'll be getting it, though, because God has promised it to me. When God blesses me with a wonderful family and God gives me a house to live in, clothes to wear, and a car to drive, when God does all that, that's grace. That's God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. I deserve hell, but I won't be going there. I deserve judgment, but I won't be experiencing judgment. Because the Bible says you can be the comeback player. Whoever confesses and turns from sin, the Bible says you will receive mercy. God not giving you what you do deserve. See, the reason why, here's the the thing. The reason why so many of us think that God won't forgive us, we're still trying to punish ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves for what we've done. And so we take the whip out and we think, maybe if I beat myself with it just a little bit more, maybe then God will look down and have pity on me. And that's just not the way it works. It's so wrong. God is saying, no, what I want you to do is I want you to come confess it and turn from it. God is saying, I'll give you mercy. We'll wipe the slate clean and you can move on with life. If you don't believe that, we're going to do a little work here, and I'm going to show you why and how it works. I love Proverbs 14:9. Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. The godly are saying, God, I got a problem here, and I know it's a problem between me and you. I acknowledge it, and I want reconciliation. God, I don't want there to be a break between you and me. Okay. The moment I start this, I know I need to explain a lot. I'm going to try my best to, to set this up. i got to take you to an Old Testament book called Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is a, it's a freaky book to me sometimes. <laughs> if you've ever tried to read the Bible, the Israelites, were, they were in captivity. They w- wouldn't listen to God. And so God has Ezekiel do some pretty weird things to get the people to listen to him. We'll leave those for another day. But the other day I was just reading in my devotions in the book of Ezekiel. And for the first time, I really understood why repentance works. And by the way, repentance is an important concept. When I was on my sabbatical, I read the New Testament a number of times. I was amazed at how many times God says repent. Repent means what we just read, confess and turn. When John the Baptist came announcing Jesus, his message was repent from sin and believe the gospel. When Jesus came, repent, he said. This is what the message of the kingdom is. You turn from your old way of life. On on Pentecost, what did Peter preach? He preached repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout the scriptures, God says repent, turn, 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 turn. But when I was reading in Ezekiel, I realized why it works and why it's so important to God. Hang with me through some some complicated stuff because when we make the bend and we get a good look at it, I believe it's going to be very, very clear. During the time Ezekiel was prophesying, um, the people were feeling like they didn't deserve judgment. They had been taken by a foreign power. 
and they felt like they didn't deserve it. So they couldn't really blame God necessarily, but so what they decided to do, they decided to blame their ancestors. And they had this idea that God punishes the children and the grandchildren and the grandchildren because of the sins of previous generations. And that was their way of saying, really, it's not our fault that we're in judgment. It's our parents' and our grandparents' fault. And they actually had a little saying about that. And it just really ticked God off. And so God had his prophet. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 18, it's kind of like God keeps throwing slow pitches for these people to get it. And God says, hey, suppose there's a really good guy, even though you're in judgment, and this guy loves his wife, he's faithful to his wife, he he worships God, he doesn't worship idols, he doesn't treat people badly, he's good to widows and orphans, and he's really a, a godly man. God says, even though you're in judgment, you would expect that man to live, wouldn't you? This means yes. So obviously God is, God's asking, he's asking almost rhetorical question. God said, perhaps this man, who's a good man, has a son, but he doesn't live like his dad. He worships idols, and he is unfaithful to his wife, and he sleeps with everybody inside, and, and he's doing all kinds of mean things to people. And God is saying, that guy's not going to live, is he? And the answer is no. And then God said, but suppose he has a son who sees the error of his father's ways, and he decides to live like his grandpa, and he decides to love God and serve God and worship God, and he's good to widows, and he's good to orphans, and he's giving, and he doesn't charge exorbitant interest. God, interest, God says, that man's going to live, isn't he? And this means yes. And so it was at that moment that God said, look, I, that's, I don't operate by punishing the children and the grandchildren for the sins of the parents and the grandparents. God is saying, I deal with individuals based on the individual. It is at that moment that I want to start reading a number of verses to you that blow my mind, and they really explain why God responds to repentance. You ready? Here we go. This is Ezekiel 18, verse 23. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? God is saying, you know, when people are bad, do you think I like to see them be judged? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten, and they will die for their sins. Yet you say the Lord isn't doing what's right. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I the one not doing what's right, or is it you? When righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things, they will die for it. Yes, they will die because of their sinful deeds. And if wicked people turn from their wickedness, obey the law, and do what is just and right, they will save their lives. Verse 28, this is it. They will live... Because they thought it over and decided to turn from their sins. This is why repentance is so important. Because when, even though we may have done wrong, we thought it over. And the person that we really are decides, I don't want to do this anymore. See, God is concerned with your thought it over response. I mean, there are actually people that grow up in church and grow up religious. But they think it over, like God says, and they decide to live for themselves. But then there are people like you and me that because of temptation and because of wrong place at the wrong time, listening to the wrong people, maybe being stubborn, we get our lives messed up, but there comes a moment when we think it over and we say, I don't want to live that way anymore, and God is saying, yes. That's what I'm looking at. Listen, God is listening for your thought it over response. 
And by the way, what I just talked about was Old Testament. And, and, and living and dying there had to do with this earth. It didn't have to do with eternal life necessarily. We're going to move to the New Testament where Jesus was talking, and he's, he's going to deal with the same thing. And, and Jesus is talking to some religious people, and they don't want to have anything to do with him. And Jesus is trying to explain to them that God is really concerned about this thought-it-over thing. So Jesus tells this story, and I want you to listen to it real quickly. In Matthew 21, verse 28, Jesus said, what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The boy, is like some of us, said, no, I won't go. But later, he changed his mind. He thought it over and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. He thought it over and decided not to. Jesus said, which of the two obeyed the father? They replied the first. Look at this. Jesus explained this meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. In other words, Jesus was talking to people who thought it over and decided to reject him. And Jesus said, hey, you know what? There's the scum of the earth and hookers who are going to get into heaven because they thought it over and they decided they didn't want to go that way anymore. Do, you, do we understand now why repentance is so important? It's your thought it over response. All right. There are some of you out there today, even now, and there's something in your past that's so bad, it's so deep, so dark, you did it so many times, it's still haunting you, and you're wondering, even, you know, Mark, you've talked about thinking it over, and God, will God forgive this? Can God forgive this? If that's where you are today, you're about to have a moment of supreme deliverance. It is in 1 John chapter 1, the 7th verse. Is it, is it behind me yet? Yes. All right. I'm going to get to a spot, and I'm going to stop, and then we're going to read the rest of it out loud. You ready? But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, that means we're, our sins are exposed. We're not hiding them. If we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship, something in common with each other. I'm going to stop right now. Because starting with the word and, we're going to read it out loud together. You ready for this? Here we go. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that awesome? If you've thought it over and you've said, I don't want to go that way anymore, God will listen to you because if you confess it and forsake it, you will find mercy. God will not give you what you deserve. And the blood, and boy, here's the thing. You say, my sin, Mark, is so bad. It may be so bad, but it's still not more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ because no substance this world has ever known is as powerful as the blood of Jesus. So whatever that darkest thing is that you've done, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away, A-L-L, all sin. In God's mind, lady, you are as clean and pure in God's sight as a virgin. You have given God your sin. You've turned it over to him. Sir, your heart is washed clean if you will confess your sin and turn it to God. God said he didn't even want the wicked to die. I mean, God doesn't want anybody, he wants everybody to be reconciled to him. And my prayer is that today you've let it go and go out and live your life 
with the, well, don't, I don't mean really with the accelerator out of the floor. I'm talking about metaphorically. Um, go out and live life all out because you're forgiven and washed clean. What, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, before I close, it could be that you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. Well, the cool thing is I just gave you the basis for one. Because a lot of people think you have a relationship with God by being religious or being good. None of us is good. Joining a church. I love New Spring Church, but New Spring Church can't get you out of Sedgwick County when you die. Man, you, you need to know Jesus and his forgiveness. He wants, I mean, it's all about receiving pardon and forgiveness and God's free gift. And how do you get a gift? You just reach out and take it. So here's the deal. I'm going to pray a prayer that is a way of reaching out and receiving God's free gift. Because here's the deal. God says, repent and believe. Turn from your old way of life. Believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the grave. It's as simple as that. And if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you want to be forgiven, washed clean, why don't you, why don't you give God a chance? I'm going to pray this prayer slowly because the important thing is that you mean it, not the words. It's what you mean in your heart. So I'm going to pray it slowly so you can savor the words and mean them in your heart. You ready? If you're ready to receive Jesus, pray with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not hiding it. I ask you to forgive me and wash me and make me clean. I believe you died for my sins. I believe your blood was the currency that paid for them. Jesus, I believe you arose from the grave and you're listening to me right now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.